0: Well, hey guys, we're gonna we're gonna get started. Um, it is with great pleasure, but it is also with great sorrow that uh, tonight we finish First Thessalonians. Yeah, right. This has been a really fast study. It took it took us it took us forty four weeks to get through uh, the book of John, which is just over twenty chapters. Um, so you'd assume that we'd be in Thessalonians for. And to 15 weeks, but we're we're getting First Thessalonians guys in five weeks, and um, yeah, it's it's such a rich book. I feel like we've done it uh, pretty good justice. Uh, we we could always spend more time saturating and, 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 and sitting in God's Word, but there's just there's so much meat in First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, I'm I'm just like man, let's li- let's lay it out there. Let's get it all done uh, by this point in our sermon series, uh, which we have titled Knowing future, hope, Jesus, uh, we should have a pretty good understanding of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I, 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 if I were to ask any of you, um, hey, what is the book of 1 Thessalonians all about? You would most likely, or if I've done my job correctly, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's that book that talks about faith, love, and hope. And it's it, 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 it's where Paul, he looks at the church in Thessalonica, and he's remembering their past and and and, and talking about their work of faith then he's refocusing their present as he looks at their labor of love and then he is going to uh, begin to long for and look forward towards their future which is that patience and hope and we see it broken down for us in chapter one that they they had a work of faith god had done something the spirit had done something in their hearts when Paul went to them in Acts chapter 17, we saw Paul. He went and he was with them for three weeks. And he preached three weeks in the synagogue. And in those three weeks, he established a church. Now he's writing this church. A year after the fact, he's sent a letter uh, with Timothy. Timothy's come back with report. And so now he is, he is commending them on their work of faith. God had done something in them. And, and, and we see Paul tells them that, hey, you have left the idols and turned to the living God, you have turned from your idols, the work of faith, and now you worship the living God, that labor of love. You love one another. You you, you care for one another. You work hand in hand with one another. And then he, he says, love even more. Let love abound even more. And then he says, and you wait for the Son who is from heaven, that patience of hope. And we've seen over the last few weeks that the book breaks down. Not only is it just over. Uh, arching those three things but the book breaks down Paul seems to write all of his letters with a nice outline to them and the outline of this book is chapter one uh, is it, it, talking about their work of faith chapter 2 uh, chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4 is it is, is really focusing on uh, the labor of love and, and, and how they can love one another more and more and then as we are seeing the latter half of chapter 4 the first part of chapter 5 really is this, this patience of hope, this focusing on the future. And we covered all of that in entirety uh, pretty exhaustively last week. We looked at the end times, we looked at some eschatology, and we're going to really spend a lot more time on that when we get to 2 Thessalonians. But now we get to that little bit at the end of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, the, the, the end of this letter where Paul, he's already talked to them about their work of faith. Their labor of love and their patience of hope but now he's just going to depart and leave them with some little tidbits some little exhortations of encouragement and he's going to break down some things for them what it means to they already know now what it means to be a mature christian with that faith hope and that love uh, but now what he's going to do is he's going to say here's some wisdom here's some ways to put that love into action to put that faith into action to put that hope into action and these are some everyday anecdotes for you to live your life by. If you were going to the doctor for for some illness, or maybe you had allergies. Anyone here have allergies? Allergies, the worst. The only reason I bring it up is because the season is starting, and I'm thanking the Lord for this rain right now. As much as I love the sun, as much as I just want it to be not a cloud in the sky, 55 degrees and sunny, it's the perfect. That's perfect weather. 55 and sunny, right? Uh, not a cloud in the sky. But that's when the allergies really start coming. And then as it gets warmer, I don't know why, when it gets warmer, the pollen just starts doing its thing, gets in the air, and we start sneezing. And I'll tell you what, man, it took forever to find the allergy medicine that worked for me. I, I started off like any good American, Benadryl. And I was like, KO, hey, Benadryl, didn't work. Went straight to Claritin, didn't work. Jumped over to Zyrtec, didn't work. Jumped back to Claritin, because it was cheaper than Zyrtec, didn't work. Went to Allegra, didn't work. Went to go get prescription stuff. Found out how much it cost to get allergy tests, didn't work. (laughs) Then I said, I need something, give me something. And The doctor said, have you ever tried Flonase? I was like, I don't even know what that is, but I need something. They're like, all right, well, there's Flonase and then there's prescription Flonase. And prescription fluoridates is the good stuff. We'll give that to you. That's like this little thing you stick up your nose and you shoot this awesome relief of allergy liquid into your nose, and it's amazing. That. Oh, it is so good. And the reason why I'm talking about that is because I got a prescription. And let's say the person who had spiritual allergies is trying to figure out how to get over the symptoms of their spiritual allergies. They're having a hard time. They're sneezing. They're, 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 they're messing up. They're falling into sin. They're trying to figure it all out. They go to Paul. They say, Paul, I've tried everything. I've tried Claritin. I've tried Zyrtec. I've tried Allegra. I've tried the Temple of Diana. I've tried the cult of Mithras. I've tried it all. I've tried Judaism. I've tried it all. What is the prescription to my spiritualologies? And Paul says, here you go. Take a dose of this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, second half. I've got some things for you in verses 12 through 22. Now, obviously, they didn't have chapter numbers and verse numbers back then, but Paul's going to give them here a prescription, the antidote, everything that you need to live within the will of God. What was the will of God? We saw that in chapter 4. This is the will of God, that you would abstain from your fleshly desires, you would abstain from the lusts and the sins of this world, and that you would live holy. Here is now... The way in which to do that. So, open your Bibles with me if you will. If you're not already there, 1 the Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 12. We're going to read all the way through 22. We're going to break these down exegetically. Then we're going to hit 23 through 28. Just wrap it up. Put a nice little bow on 1 Thessalonians. We're going to call it good. We're going to be really built up in our most holy faith by reading this. But this is what it says in verse 12 of chapter 5. It says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you, And who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them highly in the love for their works sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, to warn those who are unruly and comfort those who are faint-hearted. Uphold the weak and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for both yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test all things and hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to read your word. God, we thank you that your word is not just a book, that your word is not just some ancient text, but that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we thank you that your word speaks to us today, that your word transcends all cultures, all time periods, and it is always relevant. And God, we just pray that tonight you would speak to us through your word. God, I pray that none of these would be my words, God, but that this would be your perfect word that comes through. And as we look at what you said uh, under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit through Paul to the church of Thessalonica, to us today. God, I pray that we are all built up in our most holy faith. So God, we just worship you. We thank you. Thank you for the reading of your word. And God, bless us uh, as we dive into what these words have to say. So God, we thank you and we praise you. In name we pray. Amen. 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 So Paul, Paul breaks down for them. He says, hey, great work you have had a work of faith god has done something in your hearts when you received the holy spirit and when i established this church god by his spirit did something in you you experienced what it was to be a son and a daughter of christ great work continue your faith he said you have experienced the love of god and now you have extended that love that God gave to you. Now you are extending that to all the surrounding regions. You are an example of what a church is to be, not only here in Macedonia and Achaia, but to all the surrounding regions. Your reputation precedes you. You are a church of faith, of love, and you're a church of hope. And I commend you on all those things. And now, lest your head get so big with, we are the church that Paul adores, let me tell you some things. To never forget. We give you some simple things, put your feet on the ground to humble you, to bring you back down. And now here's a checklist of things to live by. And he says this, picking up in verse 12, he says, And we, who's the we? It's Paul, Silvanus, Timothy. Uh, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey, those who labor among you. He's not talking about those who are out in the fields with them. He's not talking about those who maybe are selling things in the marketplace. What he's saying is those who are working in the church. This is one of those portions of scripture where Paul says, hey, remember those who labor among you, those who serve in your church, those who teach you in your church. Hey, respect them. Respect them. I look around the room, and all of us, at, at some level, are serving in the church, and that's super awesome. And so we are called to recognize one another, give honor where honor is due, first and foremost, to the Lord. And then, hey, if, if God's doing something through a brother or a sister in the church, let them know, hey, that is an awesome labor of love. I commend you in that. And he says, and those who are over you, this being the deacons and the elders and the bishops of the church, pastors and elders today. He says, esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. Hey, they're doing a work not because it pays great, not because it's... I don't even know. He's saying they do it because they love you. They love you. And it's the call that God has put on their life. So, what does he say? He says, esteem them for their love for their work's sake. So, he then says, be at peace among yourself. Uh, that peace there among themselves uh, is for multiple reasons. Uh, but, as a pastor, um, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because I always try and avoid talking when Paul says, hey, esteem your pastors. It's like, well, if you're asking for respect. No, not, not 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 really. But we touch on them because they're here in God's word. But, but when it says, be at peace among yourself, uh, there's no greater there's a few great, okay. Uh, there's, there's very few things that are more heartbreaking to a pastor than when the flock is at odds with one another. When Christian brothers and sisters are at odds with one another, beating each other up, maybe not physically, sometimes physically, crazy stuff, but um, verbally, and we live in a world where that's really easy. People hit Twitter, people hit Instagram, people hit Facebook, and they say something about someone else in the church. Maybe they don't use names, but people who sit in the back may be like, oh yeah, I know exactly who they're talking about. Did you see what, what? What put on Facebook? Oh my goodness, I can't believe this about this person. And there's this discord that can so easily creep into the church. And it can grow, and it can grow, and it can grow until there are deep, deep roots of bitterness between brothers and sisters who are on the same team. Who are on the same team. Uh, so some examples and some correlations that could be made uh, in, in a more pop culture uh, sort of situation. Um, the, the New York Jets, like three years ago, uh, their professional football team, for those of you who don't know that, the New York Jets uh, were a pretty, pretty good football team. Had a great coach, uh, and they were doing some really good things, making some big strides, giving the Patriots their rival a run for the money for the division. like They were doing good, but... What was happening on the field was not a representation of what was slowly beginning to creep into the locker room. And there was dissent and discord among the players. Certain players thought they were all that. Santonio Holmes, look him up, he's not the nicest character, was saying some things about other teammates. They brought Tim Tebow onto their team just to try and bring some health to the team, and that made things worse, not because Tim Tebow's bad, but because people thought Tim Tebow was a joke, and like it it got so bad that the team crumbled, they kept having a losing season after a losing season, and it had nothing to do with the way they were playing, it had nothing to do with the way they were being coached, it had everything to do with what was going on in the locker room, where people were like, you know what, I'm done playing with this person, dunzo, 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 and the team crumbled, and now to this day, they're still being rebuilt. They're still being rebuilt. And that's just on a microcosm scale, things that can happen in the church when bitterness is allowed to continue and to continue and to continue when feuds happen and people stop coming to church because they don't want to see such and such or they don't respect this person. And, 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 and you know who takes the weight of most of that? Because it's easy just to go say whatever you want on Facebook. It's easy just to go talk behind someone's back because you don't carry the weight. But the pastors, they get heartbroken when they see their flock bitter at one another. I can't tell you how many elders meetings and staff meetings that I've sat through where the pastoral leadership of this church, where the elder leadership of this church has been in tears because of some things that were said about such and such sitting over in this corner by such and such sitting over in this corner. And and disunity in the church has a lot of weight. You know who it affects even more than the pastor? It affects Jesus. Because Jesus like, I established this church. It is to be unified. That's what he prayed in John chapter 17. He said, God, I pray that they would be one just as you and I are one, so that the world may know. Yeah, it's hard for the pastor. Yeah, Jesus prayed against it. But the witness of the church, a church that is so set on contentions and strivings amongst itself, is not doing anything for the gospel, not doing anything for the community. And churches die. Churches die when they get inward focus and they, they're not at peace with one another. But we are called, and Paul reminds us here, to be at peace with one another. Hey, if your brother does something wrong to you, what did Jesus say? Love him. He said, love him, forgive him. and he, forgive him, and he gave some great examples. He said, hey, if someone hits you in the cheek, turn and give him your other cheek. If someone says, hey, give me your tunic, give him your cloak also. Hey, walk with me one mile. Hey, I'll go the extra mile with you. Jesus says, go above and beyond, and be peaceable, be loving, be forgiving. So, this is what we're called to do, uh, and it's one of those one of those prescriptions that helps us live in that mature Christian life. Can we truly be operating and working out our faith? If we have contention one with another can our love truly be the love of god if we have contention with one another paul when he writes to 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 one of his good brothers titus he says hey avoid foolish contentions about genealogies and about the law and all these things because they're not profitable they don't profit avoid the people who talk like that because it's not profitable and, uh, and, and and so we're encouraged, and we're admonished here to, to, to be at peace with one another and to honor those who serve in the church. He goes on, he says, Now we, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, we exhort you, brothers, to warn those who are unruly. So hey, if there's people getting out of hand in church, go speak the truth in love. Let them know, hey, that's not probably a nice thing to say about that person. Did you know that we as brothers and sisters in Christ we have the authority to when we see a brother and sister doing something wrong to call them out not to make a public spectacle of them like say Josh was say Josh was low key saying some rude things about people he wasn't meaning to say it maybe he was meaning to say it it's not my job to walk up to him in front of a whole bunch of people and be like yo Josh i can't believe you're saying that you're just a terrible representation of Christ Repent, bro. And yeah, like, like, like that's not how we how, how we confront. We pull our brother aside and we say, hey man, you know, I heard the other day that this is something you said. Is this something you said? And if you said yeah, I'm like, you know, I don't think that's how Jesus would want us to talk about our brothers and sisters. And so Josh then is faced with the opportunity to say, hey man, I'm sorry, I repent. I'm going to go apologize. Or you can be like, man, you're crazy. Get out of my grill. And if he says, man, you're crazy. Get out of my grove. Then we go. We say, hey, man, I love you. And I want to see the best for you. I really think you should change. And if he's still freaking out about that, then we go to the elders and the deacons of the church and we say, man, I need help. My brother Josh, he's just saying some terrible things about people. Can you help me out? And then the elder and pastor can sit down and be like, hey, man, I really think think you should not be saying that. And, and, And when it gets to that point, uh, People are either faced with, you know what, I'm sorry, I messed up, I shouldn't have done it, I was caught in my pride. Or they can be like, man, whatever, all the church does is come down on people. And the reality is the church doesn't come down on people. We're to speak the truth in love. And people all have heart issues, and and we have to get those things worked out. But we're told to warn those who are unruly. He goes on to say, comfort those who are faint-hearted. How many of you guys have ever been faint-hearted before? Where you just feel like everything is crushing down on you. Every single wall is closing in. You're like, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to do. How many of you, when you were in that moment, and someone could tell? Because you all know when you see someone who's paying hard, you can tell when someone's going through it, right? And uh, for, for, for those who've gone through it, which is probably all of us, you remember when someone came and was just like, hey, talk to me. I don't want to give you the answer. Just talk to me. I want to listen to you. I want to love on you. Just, just let me know what's going on, and that brings comfort, right? Yeah. And we are, we are told in Scripture to do these things, to comfort, to just be there. You ever notice how Jesus in His ministry, um, there were times where, where I mean, He could fix. I mean, He could fix anything, you know, but but sometimes He just was there. He was just there with people when they are going through a hard time. Like think about Lazarus, you know. He knew that Lazarus was gonna die. And he knew in advance that Lazarus was sick. He could have gone there and healed and done just this mighty work of God. But instead, he shows up and he shows us what it's like to comfort people when they're faint-hearted. Mary and Martha, they were distraught. Jesus even <laughs> got gut sick and, 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 and faint-hearted. But what did he do? He loved on and, and he comforted and then. He said this is for the will of God. He does an amazing miracle. But he shows us what it's like just to sympathize, to empathize, just to be with people where they're at. Because if you've never been faint hearted, there will come a day where you will be faint hearted. And it is important that we comfort one another so that when we get faint hearted, someone can come and comfort us. So, call out those who are unruly, comfort those who are faint hearted, uphold those who are weak. Holding those who are weak goes along with comfort those who are faint-hearted, uh, but but what it means is 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 when we uphold those who are weak, um, it's very easy. I know I am a culprit of this. Uh, many Christians, if not every Christian, at some point in our life, we are we are uh, culprits of this. When someone is weak, when someone is, is distressed, when someone's going through a hard time, you go up to them and you're like, man, Dan, I see you're having a hard time. This is what i do to fix it. I'm praying for you. And we scoot, because it's awkward for us to talk about hard times. It's awkward for us to talk about weaknesses, right? And we just scoot. We're like, pray for you. Woo, maybe. And, and we scoot. But what it means to uphold those who are weak, it means to. Walk with them. It means to say, hey, you know what? I love you, and because I love you, I'm willing to get in the trenches with you for the long haul. I'm willing to uphold you and be with you and walk alongside you for the long haul. And when Paul is writing here, he's he's really... Uh, exhorting those who are in the church in ways to deal with those who are in the church. This is a brother sister in Christ relationship. Build up those for a week. But the same concept also goes to followers of Christ and Christians in the community with those who are not Christians. It's very easy for me to walk up and say, "Hey, Dan, you're not a Christian? This is an example. I don't actually talk like this. okay, but like, hey, Dan, I see you're not a Christian jesus is the only way choose him today if you don't i'll never talk to you again i mean that sounds really blunt right but so many christians sometimes even us a lot of times even us that's how we treat people where we're willing to be like i'll be your best bud really hope you become a Christian, and if you don't, I'm going to move on to the next one. And that's not what we're called to do as believers. We're, if, if we truly care for somebody, we'll care for them, and we will want relationship with them in their process of becoming a Christian, and here's the crazy thing. Even if they don't become a Christian, if we truly care for them, we will be there for them and walk through them. So when they get weak, hey, I'm here for you. Because you never know when the last moment is going to be for someone. And you never know. So you walk with them because in a moment of weakness, they may say, man, why are you still here? All my friends have left. Why are you still here? And that might be the opportunity that you get to present the gospel. And they say, that's why you stuck with me. I want what you have you can say, I've got a God who will always stick with you. So when it says uphold the weak, it's not just saying, hey, here's a solution. I'm a little bit stronger than you. Here's a solution. Oh, you're weak. Let me hold you because I'm strong. And then I'll leave you when you get some strength. No, it says uphold. I'm going to walk hand in hand with you through the thick and through the thick, through the hard times, through the good times. I'm here for you because I love you. That's what Paul is commending us to do here. Then he says be patient with all. So for those who are unruly, for those who are faint-hearted, for those who are weak, it takes a lot of energy. Paul Paul doesn't say, hey being a good mature Christian is a cakewalk. He says this takes energy. Be patient with all. How many of you would by a raise of hands say you lack patience at sometimes? right? Yeah we all lack patience. Some of our some of our ropes are longer than others. Praise the Lord! Some of your ropes are longer than 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 mine because there's times where you know what I just want to be done, but you guys give grace. You know it's great, and, and God's given us each ropes of patience, and, and whether it's by our circumstances, the way we were raised, uh, our ropes can either get cut or maybe they stay a little bit long. But here's the thing: when you give your heart to Jesus and the Holy Spirit takes a residence inside you, and you say, "Man, I just want Your Spirit, God. I want more of Your Spirit." What's one of the fruits of the Spirit? patience and the more time we spend with the spirit the more time we say hey god give me more of your spirit fill me again with your spirit he starts taking that patience rope and he starts giving you more and more patience it's not your natural patience it's the supernatural patience Mm -hmm. that when you get to the end of your rope you say god i can't do this no more he says all right go a little bit more i've got you go a little bit more i've got you and out of nowhere it's like that magician who's got the who's got like the um the, the, the colored uh, piece of cloth in his mouth, and he keeps pulling it out, and it's like, where did that keep coming from? How did he get that? And he keeps pulling, pull, pull, pull. That's like that patience rope. It's like, man, just a little bit. Oh, no, I got more. Oh, man, I got more. I got more. I got more. And God, with the Spirit, he says, hey, here's some more patience. Yeah, that is a praise God moment. Verse 15 says this. He says, see that no one renders evil for evil. Hey, let's not repay evil with evil. Let's repay evil with good. Always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. I like that word, pursue. Pursue. That means chase after. Chase after. But not just like, chase after, like, ah, you know, if I don't catch up, it's all good, I'll turn around, maybe I'll get them on another day. No, pursue is like with, with some intensity, like, I am not going to stop until I lay hold to this thing. Look at the children of Israel. Uh <laughs> Elijah, on Mount Carmel, calls down fire from heaven, boom, takes up the offering, and all these priests and, 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 and prophets of the false god they're like, oh my goodness, that was crazy. And then Elijah turns to the people and says, God is God. Do with these what you must. They all pick up their clubs and swords, they're like, let's kill the prophets! And they, they run, and it says that the Israelites pursued them until they were all dead, They had vision. We gotta route ourselves of these bad things and lay hold to what God has for us. That's what this pursue what is good. You gotta say, hey man, I'm gonna do what it takes so that the goodness, the grace, love, and the mercy of God is shown to all, not just to the church, but yourselves, the church, and to all. We should pursue, we should, with some sense of vision and vigor, Long to lay hold of goodness for the world. What is the goodness for the world? Well, what's the gospel? The gospel is good news, and we should pursue so that the gospel goes forth. And then, after he says these things, and he speaks with some with some uh, with some depth, he says, "All right, now I'm going to give you the ultimate prescription. I've given you your flonase for your spiritual allergies." but now you wanna get rid of them completely, I'm gonna load you up with the prescription Flonase. Flonase was good, over the counter, but let me give you the prescription Flonase. He says this, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Sounds great, doesn't it? Does it sound easy? No, there are times where rejoicing is not the go-to emotion. It probably isn't even the secondary emotion. Sometimes it's the very last thing you want to have. Situation gets rough, joy. I mean, let's be honest. We've talked about, hey, when someone is is down, when someone's faint-hearted, when someone's weak. How many of you guys have ever been through like a really hard time and then Johnny Jovial comes up and he's super happy, like, oh, yeah, everything's great, woo and and like, tries to build you up, but it's not like the hey, I'm going to sit with you, I'm going to listen to you, I'm going to be comforting to you, but it's like the, hey, joy of the Lord is our strength, woohoo! And then like, skips off to the next person. That can be frustrating at times, right? You're like, dude, does that person even know what's going on? It, we're called to rejoice always, but sometimes joy can be a frustrating thing for us. Let me just break that down a little bit more, because it sounds almost counterintuitive. Like, we get frustrated at Johnny Jovial over here um, there is a difference between happiness and joy and sometimes people can operate in a like a false sense I'm not saying this is everyone because some people just genuinely are joyful 100% of the time I don't know how I've been accused of it but they haven't seen me when I'm not in front of people I mean, but some people are just joyful all the time and praise the Lord good for them but for those of us who are human, uh, it's, 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 we, we face hard times, and it's not always happy. But here's the reality, is it can't always be joyful. You see, happiness, if we were to look at this on a graph or on, like a, on a scale, happiness is a very, um, a very wave-like emotion. It's up and down, and it's based off of circumstance. Happiness is reactional, but joy is a constant. Joy is a constant. Whereas, oh, and we have a whiteboard. This is perfect. I'm gonna use it so real quick. Okay. So that was a pretty poor drawing. Uh, but let's say, let's say this is happiness. So so this is we're gonna say this is normal. So this is our normal emotion, right? Okay. Uh, circumstances cause different things. So maybe we're, man, maybe we just started off, yeah, we we'll start off as like a baby, right? Babies, they have their moments, but they, they're just joyful, little happy babies. They're happy, but then they realize, oh, I can't have that cookie, now I'm getting sad. And then, then they start realizing, oh man, I really can't. And then, oh, things are good. And then as we get older, Happiness, sometimes it skyrockets, sometimes we plummet, but it's all over the place, right? It's based off of circumstances. But joy is a constant. And joy says, hey, you know what? No matter what the circumstance looks like, it's constant. Now here's the really cool thing about the spirit-filled life of the believer. So joy is a constant. It doesn't change based off the circumstance. When we have the Spirit, I'm going to say Spirit-filled joy, because joy is one of those fruits of the Spirit. Remember how God extends our patience? Check this out, what God can do with our joy. God can continue to grow our joy. And it's a constant. It doesn't dip. It continues to grow as... We get closer and closer to our eternal hope. What is our eternal hope? Heaven. Where it's going to be joy non-stop. But we're to be rejoicing always. Now, that's not happiness. We're not supposed to be happy-go-lucky all the time. But we are to realize that we have a joy and that no matter how rough situations get around us, that's why we're told in the book of James, count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials and tribulations. That doesn't sound right. When things get rough, we should hunker down and be like, this is rough. No, he's just count it all joy. Count it all joy. There is a hope. There is a future. And remember, that was the very first week of the book of 1 Thessalonians. We said, hey, live backwards. Heaven is the end. We're going to spend a future and a hope and an eternity with Jesus. And when we understand that is where we are going, projector's doing crazy things behind me. Yeah. Yeah, okay. If it gives anyone... There's a controller back there. We could turn that off. That is... It's going to drive me crazy. I can see the reflection of it in the, in the window. Mm-hmm. Um, but joy... Uh, no, it's up on. Uh, I think it's up on top of the sound system. Uh, joy is one of those things where, where, because we can live backwards, um, we can have a greater understanding of joy. If you just want to throw that, <laughs> actually, it's kind of, yeah, oh, you got it? Boom, there we go. Great, got it. That was that, that was crazy. I don't know what was happening there. Yeah. it. When I was drawing up here, I saw a flash outside. I don't know if it, like we lost power. I don't know what happened, but that was weird. Um, yeah, something went weird with it. Um, so rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing is what verse 17 says. Uh, how many of you guys have ever tried to sit down and pray nonstop for five minutes? Doable. Ten minutes? Still doable, but it starts getting hard. An hour? you guys ever set aside an hour just to pray for an hour? It's endurance. Anyone ever tried to pray for 24 hours straight? I haven't. <laughs> that sounds intensely crazy. So, what does it mean when it says your prayer without ceasing? Because we all like have given the give up point at like 24 hours. That, that's just, we can't do it. I mean, in reality, two hours sounds pretty darn hard, doesn't it? But when it says, pray without ceasing, how do, we, how do we work this in? Um, the way I heard it put one time, and the way I really like this, and I, I tend to apply this in my everyday life, um, always having an open line of communication with the Father. Mm. Um, it's, like a, it's like a phone. Um, now, we all are from a generation where texting is the thing, like cell phones. We can text, uh, and I'll tell you what, um, in, in, in the weeks leading up to when Mariah and I started dating, and then for, for I'm making her embarrassed right now, but uh, uh, sorry about that, Mariah, but, but we would text nonstop till like the wee early mornings, uh, to the wee early hours of the morning, and uh, I mean, never wanted to be like the last one to text, never wanted to fall asleep because you always wanted to continue conversation, you know. And uh, like, just you never want to put it down, cause you are just like in love, and you're like, oh my goodness, like I want to always be on the line. Back in the day, like when people actually had phones, you know, and stuff. I don't know anything about it. My dad tells me about it, you know. But like, like you'd be on the phone. And and you wouldn't want to hang up, so you're like hanging out in your room. Sometimes they have a cord, and the cords are like extendo length, so you can like anyone seen Napoleon Dynamite when yeah. he like sneaks around the corner, you know. But uh, like just always on the phone, never wanting to hang up. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up. You hang up. And so like always wanting to stay on the line. Well, with the Lord, there's no call waiting. There's no there's no like busy signals. We can stay on the phone. Non-stop. It's better than Sprint's or at and or whoever Steve Harvey said was lying or uh, any of those things where, hey, we have more coverage in more places, you know. Uh, there's no fees. There's no fees. You can be on call, have it open, the line open, unlimited data, unlimited minutes, unlimited text, unlimited talk, whatever you want to call it, with the Lord. So that, hey, I'm driving down the road. Hey, God, how's it going? It's as easy as that. The prayer without ceasing is, hey, I got I got the phone line, and it's always open with the Lord. And then it's not, not just like writing it off, like, okay, I got the phone line open. I'm always praying. But no, actually taking time to, to use the phone when it's on, you know, and be like, hey, God, blah, 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 blah. Hey, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. And just finding those moments throughout the day where we spend time in prayer. And the more we do that, we get to this place where it's it, it's constant. You may be, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I'll, I'll drive from one meeting to another in the car. I might not be like, oh, Father God, that was <laughs> so great, and like saying these high and lofty prayers, but it's just things are running through my mind, a, a person runs through my mind, and I pray for him. And, and, and we get to that place, and then I sit down at my computer, I'm doing work, maybe I'm listening to a sermon, listening to some worship music. I'm just thanking the Lord for some things. When I go down, I lay in bed. I'm talking to God and and, and getting to the place where we pray. Here's something crazy. Here's something crazy because we live in a world where we can get distracted very easily. But the early church, they would train themselves to, as they breathe in, they'd be thanking God for life. And as they breathe out, they'd be praising him for how great he is. Think about the involuntary muscles that our lungs are breathing in, breathing out. We don't have to think about it. The early church tried to get themselves and got themselves to a place where they didn't have to think about praying because their every breath was a prayer. The rhythm of their life was a prayer. Whether that's a reality, whether that actually happened or not, that's what they wrote down. And it's a good reminder and a good example for us to always be in prayer. Let's continue on just a little bit. It says, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's the will of God? We saw in chapter 4, to abstain from evil, what's the will of God? To rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. God is good. Let's give thanks. Some verses here, verses 19-21, through are super good. It says, Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test all things and hold fast to what is good. We're a part of a movement, Pentecostalism, that is all about a move of the Spirit. Sometimes it gets a little crazy. People <laughs> swinging from chandeliers and whatnot. Okay? We're told here not to quench the Spirit. So don't like, nope, the Holy Spirit does not move like that. That's kind of weird. Uh, we're, we're not to be like that. We're not to say, and someone prophesies or says something, we're not to be like, no, that was a crazy thing. I have no clue what they're talking about. It says, don't quench. Don't despise. It says, test. How do we test? God's Word. If it lines up with God's Word, if it is exemplified for us in God's Word, hey, what does it say? I highlighted a green in my Bible. It says this. Hold fast to what is good. So, say you're in a situation where, in quotations, the Spirit is moving. woo Don't despise it. Don't quench it. But if it doesn't line up with God's Word, throw it out. Keep the stuff that's good. Prophecy, a lot of people can go around saying, oh, prophecy this, prophecy that. You heard Pastor Dave on Sunday, the majority, 90 plus percent of prophecy in God's word is not forth of a future event, but it is a declaration of an already known truth. In the 21st century, we've got prophecy in this way, like someone says, oh my goodness, you're going to have a baby." Prophecy. Maybe. But in more cases than not, prophecy is a declaration of a already known truth. Hold on to the things that are good. Test them. If it lines up with God's word, take it and run with it. Probably wasn't prophecy right there, Dan. Sorry, no. right, man. Um, <laughs> this is what it says, in verse twenty-two. It says, "Abstain from every evil." Uh, you, you, you have no further to look than Paul's letters. He says, "This is this is what sin is." Boom, 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 boom. Stay away from all that. Chapter 4. That is the will of God to abstain from sin. Prescriptions for how to live a mature Christian life in faith, hope, and love. Verse 23 says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Do that work of of sanctification, that holiness-making process in you completely. And may your whole May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, Jesus is going to come sometime. He's going to come. May we be held in that holiness and preserved in that blamelessness. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. When I first taught this, I was nineteen-year-old, fresh into college, ready to go teach in youth group, and I I really spent a lot of time. This was my early days of preaching. I, I spent a lot of time on verse twenty-six, greet the brethren with a holy kiss. Um, I talked to our youth. Uh, I was like, now this is not a license to go around kissing. Everyone in youth group, because at 19, that was all I was thinking about. Uh, and so I, I spent a lot of time there. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. You guys get the picture, all right? Uh, but he says this, hey, I charge you that this letter be read to all the brothers, to all the sisters. Um, and it is continually being read to the brothers and the sisters of Christ today. Uh, we are to be a people, we are to be a church that is holy and blameless, that is being sanctified by the Lord. It is rejoicing always, it is praying without ceasing, it is giving thanks, it is not quenching the Spirit, not despising prophecies, but testing all things that are to see that they're good and to live and to operate in our work of faith, our labor of love, and our patience of hope. When we do these things, we will be operating, functioning, whatever action word you want to say, we will be doing that in the will of God. So so often the question that is asked by people, and I'll close with this, so often the question that is asked by people is, man, what is, what is the will of God? What has God called me to? Am I called to be a missionary? Am I called to be a vocational minister? For some, the answer is yes. But to the majority of mankind, to the majority of Christendom, what is the will of God? I heard it said this way. I didn't actually hear it. I read it because this guy lived 1,900 years ago. Uh, But Irenaeus, he said this. (laughs) He said, said, The glory of God is a man living his life truly alive. What that means is that the will of God is not some "Ah." clouds parting Got a plan for you. No, the will of God is to live with faith, to live with love, to live with hope, with joy, with peace, with thanksgiving, with prayer. And when we live with those things, and with those things operating in their fullest capability in our life, no matter what we put our hands to. To the person who works in the lumberyard they're doing that, they are fulfilling the will of God in their life. To the person who drives the taxi, to the person who stands behind a pulpit and preaches, to the person who's in the hospital as a nurse, if you are doing these things to the fullest, seeking to bring honor to God in all that you do, then you are fulfilling the will and the call of God in your life. So often Christians will sit in their chair and wait for the call of God. Oh God, will you call me to China? Will you call me to Africa? When that's not for everyone? Sometimes he just says, Hey, go do what I've said is my will. I've made it very clear for you. You go look at it. It says, This is the will of God in Jesus. And go do it. Go do it. So let's be built up in that. that if you're searching for what God has for you, God's giving me a prescription right here. Now go live your life. These things in preeminence. And when we do, we'll see God continue to move, continue to fulfill what He has for each and every one of us in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. First Thessalonians, guys, five chapters. Mm. Boom. Next week, we start Second Thessalonians. Mm. Crazy, crazy. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much uh, for this evening. God, thank you that you have made it very clear to us what your will is. Mm -hmm. God, I pray that each and every single one of us will live and operate within your will, that we will have a work of faith, that we will have a labor of love, that we will have a patience and a hope, that we will rejoice always. We will pray without ceasing that we will give thanks to God always. And that as we do these things, as we live within the will of God, and as we live within the call of God to go into all the world and make disciples. God, I pray that you will continually reveal yourself to us. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. God, thank you for giving us hope. God, we thank you, and we praise you, and your son's wonderful. Beautiful name, Jesus Christ. They all said, amen. 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 Amen.